Welcome back to the Ulysses Neuroscience Podcast. In this episode, Carol and Mary speak with Samantha Burns and her mother, Chris, on life with Neiman-Pick disease type C. Hi, my name is Mary and I'm a research assistant at Ulysses Neuroscience. I will be your host today along with Carol. Hi, I'm Carol and I'm the in vivo team lead and patient insight manager at Ulysses. And in line with our Think Rare initiative, our focus today will be on Neiman-Pick disease type C or MPC. NPC is an ultra-rare progressive genetic disease that affects about one per million people. It causes lipids to accumulate in the brain, as well as some visceral organs causing damage. NPC is highly variable in terms of symptomatology and age of onset. It can range from a fatal disorder within the first few months of life to a late-onset progressive disorder that might not be diagnosed until adulthood. In general, symptoms include a variety of neurological manifestations, with hypotonia and developmental delay being the most common in younger children, and apparent early-onset dementia or psychiatric manifestations in adulthood. There is currently no cure for NPC, despite lots of the ongoing research, and current treatment consists largely of symptom management. And uh, we're leading up to Neiman Pick Awareness Month in October, when associations will organize a variety of events to raise awareness and strengthen the community. The role of a patient and family organization is vital in many disorders, but it is particularly important in rare disease, where the lack of awareness in the scientific and medical community has the potential to ulteriorly negatively affect the life and experience of people already living with an elevated burden. Today, we're joined by Samantha Burns and her mother, Chris Burns, who have participated in several advocacy initiatives, including some led by the University of Notre Dame in Indiana, US. They're here to tell us more about what it's like to actually live with MPC. Thank you for joining us. And I hope I said your names right. You do. And uh, it's very nice to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about why you decided to join us and then what it's like to live with MPC? Uh, well, we decided to join you because obviously I have music type C and like, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so you can tell them what it's like to live with NPC. Um, I can just say real quick, Samantha has uh, the juvenile onset. And so when Samantha was um, born and young and through her pretty much grade school years, uh, she she was just like every other one of her peers, and um, she you know played sports. She had a great group of friends. I mean, we we had no idea anything was was wrong, and it wasn't until uh, junior high, maybe the end of junior high, really, that we started to notice some things with Samantha, and it it kind of was around. Um, her schoolwork. She had always been a really good student and she was having difficulty with her studies. And again, she played three sports a year and she started having difficulty with that, with her balance. She couldn't remember things. And um, that's when we started to see doctors. So go ahead, Samantha, you can tell them what it's, what you think, what it's like living with NPC. Uh, Well, I try to live as normal life as possible. But um, I have some physical and cognitive difficulties that can be limiting. Like I get tired easily. Um, I have a hard time remembering things. And my balance isn't great. 
So I had a little, little, little difficulty walk, with walking. So I know you said you uh, started noticing symptoms when you were like in the end of grade school or early middle school. But um, how was the diagnosis process for you? Did you find that doctors knew about it or did you did you have any idea what was going on? Um, well, I, I would say back when all of this began, it was probably like four, five, I don't know, six years ago, maybe. But I mean, so Dr. Favish, she was like the only doctor available to do the lumbar punctures. Like nowadays, I have a doctor in Minnesota, Dr. Pyla, and yeah, so he is mine, and that's really nice for me because then I don't have to get up at like the crack of dawn and get on a plane and everything. But right, because we used to we used to fly to Chicago from Minnesota for her treatments, and we did that every two weeks for eight years. So. I mean, like if that was my only option forever, like. I don't know if I could you do that. You could. But what I would say is um, uh, when we started seeing doctors, it was about, it was a two-year process before we got her diagnosis. So we started off with her, you know, pediatrician. And then, um, you know, everything checked out. It always checked out. And we just went back two or three times and said something's wrong. And my husband had noticed that Samantha had a slight tremor when she would take, um, when she would drink something. So her hand in her hand. And so he mentioned that to the doctor and right away, you know, that, uh, that set off, uh, you know, bells and whistles for a neurologic disorder. So she did some tests and sure enough, Samantha, you know, failed those. And so then it went pretty quickly from there to seeing neurologists. And then um, they knew right away that, that Samantha had, some sort of rare disease. Uh, the first doctor, first neurologist said, you'll probably never find out what this is. Um, they had done an MRI and Samantha's uh, uh, cerebellum, they said, looked like that of an 80-year-old. And that was probably 10 years ago now. And um, so we just kept pursuing, kept going to, you know, getting this test, that test, ruling this out, ruling that out. And then finally, um, we decided, okay, we're just, we're going to go to the Mayo Clinic. It's really in our backyard uh, here in Minnesota. And we were put in contact um, with a doctor that this is his um, specialty. And so he knew right away, honestly, without even doing any tests, he had Samantha walk, he had her kids with NPC, um, they, they have a hard time, their eyes have a hard time tracking up and down and to the side. And so Samantha had that and that's kind of a telltale sign. And so he knew at that appointment that she had NPC, but then we had to follow it up with blood tests. And then my husband and I had to have, you know, the, the blood test to, to verify that we were carriers. And, um, and yeah, so that's, that's about, it was about a two-year process for us. For some people it's, you know, can take five years. Um, it's much better now, but um, yeah, for us, it was about a two-year process. I would imagine this, like you said, two years is pretty good. It was pretty good at the time, uh, but it's still two years in which you don't really know what's going on. How how is that? How does that affect you? Did you already get some support at the time, or well, how how was the how was life like that? 
Yeah, I'm going to answer this one because we kept Samantha in the dark pretty much because, you know, she was she was very young and we knew it was, you know, incredibly serious. But it's, you know, it's like you get this, you know, we're going to test for this. Okay, don't look it up on the Internet. Of course, you look it up on the Internet and it's horrible and it's fatal and it's, you know, and so then you sit with that for maybe what, three to six weeks because they take the test and then you don't get the result. And then, you know, you're sitting on pins and needles for that time. And then they come back and say, nope, it's not this. And so you, you know, breathe a sigh of relief, but then we're moving on to the next horrible rare disease. And um, that, yeah, that, so that was <laughs> not fun for two years. And I would say, you know, support wise <clears throat> at that time, you know, friends and family, cause you don't know what, what we didn't know what she had. So we didn't, couldn't reach out to the group that, you know, of other parents that have children with this disease because we didn't, we didn't know at the time. So, um, you know, family and friends is got us through. And um, we have two other children. They're both carriers and they're older than Samantha, um, two other girls. And, um, you know, they were a great support. They're wonderful with Samantha, and, you know, a lot of tests though for Samantha. I guess that's what you could say for two years. You, we took you out of school yeah. a lot. And, and a lot of tests so and some how how was it for you 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 knew something was on yeah i knew something was probably off i mean i was probably like you probably say i was 99 percent or sorry not 99 90 percent sure that something was off but then there's always that 10 percent but yeah so yeah you're a trooper though i mean you just kind of smith has always been one to go with the flow so whether it's getting up every two weeks and getting on a plane to get treatment or you know going to a test and getting a muscle biopsy um i mean my gosh i think you've had three or four muscle biopsies um you know vials and vials and vials of blood i mean she's she's always been you know, a trooper with that. So we're thankful yeah. for that. Thank you. Um, so after you got your diagnosis, Samantha, um, did you see feel that there was any like stigma attached to the um, the disorder or were there any misconception, common misconceptions associated with this disorder? Well, first off, my it's ultra rare and it affects each person so differently that I don't think there is a common misconception with anyone. And granted, I don't really know, but I don't think there is. I mean, just because like it affects everybody so differently, and that makes a big difference. Like I have this friend who has the same thing as me and he probably got treated like the same time his name can I say his name? No, but <laughs> but he was just like me kind of like he was a star athlete at the time but then slowly he drained and yeah so yeah so yep different everybody has a different but as far as um, a stigma, like now, what do you think? Uh, I had any stigma would be the same as 
for any disease that affects your ability to walk and talk normally. Also, sometimes people talk to me and it takes a while for me to put my thoughts together because my brain doesn't work as fast, so they might think I'm slow. That's That must be very frustrating. I guess like that having the disorder progress and then getting diagnosed in muscle chain you said you were an athlete and that must have changed your life quite quite a bit and how how did your life change and how did people's attitudes change towards you if they did and how did it change your social circle oh yeah it changed my social circle all that much because I mean, like they just knew me for what I was, right? So, like, yeah, it was pretty. But like, I have trouble carrying drinks, say, and like, so, yeah, I shake more like in a social situation. Yeah, yeah, and I would say. It was much easier, and I've heard this from numerous other parents, you know, when, when when you're still in school, you know, you do have your your group of friends and and um Samantha, yeah, during high school it was it was nice. And after high school, you know, most of her friends, you know, either went off to college or maybe even moved out of the state. And um that's when it's gotten a little more difficult because it's it's, it's kind of a lonely disease because um, all of her friends kind of were moving on. And um, for sure, she still has a couple of really good friends. She's yeah. actually going to be in a wedding of one of those next year. We're excited about that. Um, but after after you lose some of the supports that you have with school, it, it gets a little more difficult and, you know, reaching out and, and finding those friendships. So would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine that must be tough and definitely a big adjustment. But um, have there been any associations or communities that have helped you? Oh, uh, well, National Olympic Disease Foundation is an organization that helps provide support to families with this disease. In my community, there is community education where you can go and take take different classes and i'm about to this winter i'm going to take a party class that i'm excited about i'm actually going to end up taking it with my father yeah samantha likes doing um she likes doing art projects so like with her sisters she might uh you know take a painting class um uh you know, one support, I guess I'm just thinking off the top of my head, which after we're finished with the podcast, we'll be off to. But Samantha uh, goes to a personal trainer three times a week, which um, is really nice. It's a nice social outing for her, but it also it's, you know, keeping her muscles, you know, muscle memory intact and gets her heart rate going. She doesn't love it, but <laughs> it's very good for her. But it, but it has it has been a, um, a community for her and um, the people there all know Samantha and they encourage her and, and yeah, they mm -hmm. like her there. So 
I would, I would say that's another community support we have. That's lovely. And does it also give a social circle and a network of people that become more than just the patient community, also friends and other people to share experiences with? I'm imagining, is that important? Is that helpful? Uh, I would say yes. I mean, working out is definitely a thing because like there are some people with my disease that can't even walk i mean they just don't have a balance for it or whatever it's called but yeah like sorry she's dead now and that's it's okay but uh so Haley, she was a girl she was she was probably a year younger than me but she had my disease, right? And she was always pushing a wheelchair the whole time. So. Right. So she just, she got treatment. She was more affected than you when we started treatment. So, yeah. But it so definitely helps that we stay as active as, as we can for as long as we can. That's great. Um, so what do you think about the current uh, treatments going on? I know you said you used to have to fly to Chicago every two weeks, um, which I imagine was a huge, huge burden. But um, what do you think of the therapeutics going on now and how they've evolved? Well, I have two treatments for my disease. However, neither of are currently approved by the FDA. I take Megosat pills every day and I receive cyclodextrin through a lumbar puncture every two weeks. And I have been doing this for eight years now. Yeah. And now that we're in Minnesota, like Samantha said, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty easy. I numb up her back right before we leave. And it's probably a, I don't know, 20 to 30 minute drive to where we go. Samantha gets her lumbar puncture. I think she's on, not exact, but something like 210, 215 lumbar punctures. But um, we don't put her under anything. She just gets a little more Novocaine then from the doctor and uh, gets her infusion. So they put the drug in her spinal column so it can get up into her brain. And um, then she kind of has to do this thing called uh Oh boy, Trindellenburg, where she uh, is upside down. So the thought is not quite upside down it, at a slant, but the thought like, is my head is yeah. totally flat, but my legs go up. Right. So then it, the thought is to get the drug more into her brain. So we have to. That's what takes the longest because we have to do that for forty minutes. But um, you know, the whole procedure just takes a couple of hours, and the actual lumbar puncture probably. I don't know, five minutes maybe. So um, it's not fun. I should let Samantha speak getting a lumbar puncture, but it's it's pretty it's pretty doable. So yeah, it's pretty simple. But like, if I could get away from that, that'd be the best situation. I mean, I'm not saying anybody could do that, but like, if we could. That would be yes, right. Like if cyclodextrin could ever be put in like pill form, that would be would be nice. So that's one of the things that will be very important to you is like um, something easier to to take, right? That's something you hope to see. 
Yeah, in the future, I hope to see that. And do you know of any ongoing research that in the field of your disorder that is either trying to do what you hope or even other things that you maybe are particularly excited about, any developments you're excited about, or on the contrary, anything that you're worried about that you think is not going in the right direction? So I know there are a couple of companies doing work on gene therapy, and I am very excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of other uh, research going on, but yeah, gene therapy, I think, would be the golden golden goose for us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, and then the only thing to answer the question about uh, things going not in the right direction, it's it's um, for us in the United States, uh, you know, um, getting these drugs approved by the FDA. It seems like we have to really go through um, these hurdles that. Um, I don't know. The drug, the drug is working. It's not just in our case. I mean, there's the kids that are on this and kids who have had to go off of it for a time, they decline. I mean, it's, you see it in every case. And uh, so, yeah, I I think getting these treatments approved so that no one ever has to worry about being denied. And they've always said from the beginning, every doctor that in the end, it's going to be a cocktail of medicines that are going to, um, you know, make this more of a chronic disease. And so, uh, yeah, we just need more, more treatments approved that we can access, that everyone can access. Um, I know you have been involved with advocacy a lot. Are you aware of any organizations that advocate for you, like with the FDA, or have you yourself personally had to do it? Well, you spoke, remember, do you remember this? You spoke to the FDA a couple of years ago. Yeah, I did. Uh, that was fine, but I would probably, I don't know, I would never do it again. Because, like, I don't know, I, I'm pretty good at, like, one-on-one conversations, but I don't like speaking, like, too crowd. Well, right, but you did, you did you did really well. And it was a whole panel. We had three different panels of people talking from um, a couple of of people with NPC to parents' experiences to parents who have lost children, um, in some cases, multiple children, to parents living uh, with children who are very affected and what they go through on a daily basis to, um, you know, people just getting diagnosed. And, um, we were appreciative that the FDA was was willing to uh, take the time and listen to us, and I think some good came out of that. So there are ongoing uh, conversations with the FDA uh, since that happened a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, and we've done advocacy with with our government representatives, and um, yeah, we just do whatever we can. And if the FDA would like to hear from Samantha again, I'm just going to say she would probably do it. <laughs> and did they facilitate, like, did they ask you what you needed before the meeting? Or was it just like, we're, we're allowing you to show up, so that's it? Yeah, I think, I don't know if I can answer that. There there was a, um, you know, committee that, that, worked on this that I wasn't part of. I mean, Samantha was just a speaker, but um, um, it was the 
uh, our prestigious medical research fund at Notre Dame that headed this up. And um, yeah, they 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 had many talks in the beginning, like how is this going to go? What 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 do what does each side want to get out of this? What are the goals? And then um, when it was done, I mean, we I have a huge packet, you know, they put together on what was accomplished and future steps. And they since then have gone with those future steps. But again, I, you know, we, we, Samantha spoke, so we, we were just a participant Mm -hmm. in that. I wasn't part of the, the committee that, um, that was behind the scenes. Well, hopefully it's a positive sign that there are steps taken forward from that and hopefully they will continue to go that way. Are there any supports you've received uh, from the government or any local systems or organizations? Well, I receive government social service assistance that helps with job coaching and placement. Those who are more affected with MBC get more assistance with self-care, but I'm good with that so far. And Samantha, through the um, social services, she she for what five years had a, a wonderful job where i mean you can tell them um about your job but uh so i worked for like an adoption agency and i did like well let's see so so it'll take a while but whatever so in 1950s obviously they didn't have computers right but um, so 1950s when it started, and then I scanned like everything from the 1950s to now. Right, and then she yeah. was pretty good at her job. <laughs> so we got through all. She got through all the scanning of the files. So yeah. Um, and then that that just happened a couple of months ago. So she's actually now working with um, um this service and uh, trying to find Samantha her next job. And that's really nice. Uh, it's, it's a, uh, I'm assuming it makes a lot of difference to be able to have, you know, your, your own job and do something. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And do you, do you think that is enough? Would you like to see, organizations institutions do a little bit more or what type of thing would you like to see happen for for job or no in general in terms of support accessibility uh having needs taken into account i was thinking even when you were talking about speaking to the fda and how you prefer to talk one-on-one i wonder could they facilitate something more like that could take your needs into account and actually i think support wise i think there's so much out there that um we don't even really we don't access so just talking with other parents you know there are there are supports but i i just think it's uh um you know organizations just listening to us and getting the awareness out there um you know will help any rare disease of course um, what do you feel like is the biggest limitation having this disorder in the U.S.? Have you heard of any services in other countries or even in other states um, that you think you could benefit from? Oh, uh, well, I would just say we need more treatments from the FDA that are approved and 
like we really are safe and whatever. Yeah, right. And I don't. Yeah, um, I know other other countries um, have organizations for NPC and and uh, you know we all talk and and work together, but every little bit will help to move forward treatments. But yeah, we we need. We need approved treatments. I would say that's the biggest limitation. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're, it, it's, it's just hard because, um, you know, there's kids out there now that are, you know, being diagnosed that are going to be diagnosed that aren't necessarily going to have access to the same things that Samantha's getting. And that's, uh, that's pretty difficult to, to square in life. And, um, if it was FDA approved and, you know, if your regulatory bodies approve drugs, then no one has to worry about who, who's going to get these, these drugs and who's, who's not. So. Okay. So I guess that's something that the uh, pharma world can take to heart and help with is right. you need more approved treatments. So maybe you push the FDA a little bit more right. to listen to patients right. about what they need right uh, right now exactly thank you so much for being with us that was great and thank you sam for taking the time to answer the questions and tell us a little bit more about uh you know your life and uh, your your journey um i would just like to remind everyone that uh October is going to be the Neiman Pick Awareness Month. And uh, there are um, associations that you can contact. We're, we're probably going to link them to the podcast because we're based in Europe. You're based in America. So we might just give a few. It's always mm -hmm. good to get in touch with the rare disease associations in your own country. Uh, in the US, you have NORD, which is like the big aggregator. I wish you all the best and thank yeah. you for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. This was a really great conversation. Thank you. Mm -hmm. More awareness. More awareness. <laughs> we'll push it. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.